This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. If you're listening to this podcast, you know I love everything automotive. This passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for RM Sotheby's. So if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions, including Scottsdale, Amelia Island, or Monterey, you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com. Welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. Hey, it's Greg Stanley. Thanks for joining me this week. Uh, It's been a tough uh, 10 days or so. Unfortunately, my dad passed away slightly unexpected. I mean, the guy was 84 years old. But if you've followed me on Instagram or Facebook, you'll know that I like to take him traveling with me when I could and including some cool car places. And uh, I know a lot of you have seen him in person. So uh, that's a big, uh, big gap in my life. Obviously, I know a lot of you have gone through that as well. Uh, But I still wanted to bring the weekly content. Honestly, it's kind of cathartic talking about cars and researching cars and trying to bring you the some really good content every week, and I think this is a good one. 10 buying tips for a collector car auction. So this might not be as long of, of an episode, but I think I'll I'll bring out some cool, fun facts here uh, that hopefully will help you if you ever decide to buy at a collector car auction or will help you to not get burned at one. Um, so a lot of stuff's going on. Like I said, I'm a little frazzled from the last week and a half or so, uh, but there's a lot of cool stuff going on. So uh, set your calendar, set your clocks for uh, January the 7th from 4 to 6 p.m. approximately. I am going to do a fun like live streaming game. I'm going to call it Guess the Hammer. Now, you can join me on my YouTube channel and participate as well. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to live stream. Uh, I'm going to have um, an auction in the background where we will be following it live and you can participate, and we're going to guess what the cars that are crossing the block are going to hammer for. So it'll probably be like every third car, because we want to have time to discuss why we you know, picked a certain price for a certain car. So we're going to do it live. And uh, for this first one, we're actually going to focus on uh, the Mecham Kissimmee sale. Let me see if I get this pulled up here, right? Um, and specifically, there's a really cool collection called the Rick Grant Collection. I'm familiar with it. Um, that is crossing the block. So that'll be a really fun one to follow. Uh, so you can, uh, if you're in the Cincinnati area, you can join us live. We're actually going to meet and do this at the Moda Car Club. Now this is an artist rendering here, but a really cool um, car social area um, in Blue Ash, Ohio. So just DM me if you would like to join or look up Moto Car Club as well at motocarclub.com. And it'll be a lot of fun. We'll have some pizza there. We'll have a uh, couple prizes for whoever wins. Uh, so it's going to be fun. You can join me again. That's January the 7th from 4 until 6 p.m. That is on a Saturday. All right, what else is going on? Um, I did want to review some of the results that just occurred last weekend at the Miami RM Sotheby's sale. I always like to find some of those nuggets, some potential market trends uh, that we can glean. One cool thing is previous Collector Car Podcast guest, Johnny Lieberman, he was actually the MC, so he was doing the uh, descriptions of the cars that were crossing the block. Really nice guy. I was not there in person, but uh, I shot him a congratulatory text because I thought he did a nice job. Uh, so interesting stuff that happened. I'm going to start with. I'm going to keep this fairly brief, but I did want to call out some automobilia. So again, this is from the RM Sotheby's auction in Miami South Beach. 
Uh, a couple automobilia that really shocked me. There's this really cool Ferrari V12 engine table. Now the estimate was thirty to sixty thousand dollars, which to me sounds expensive, <laughs> obviously. But what's shocking is it sold for two hundred and forty-six thousand dollars. Absolutely nuts. I don't know what happened there, but that was kind of crazy for sure. Oh, I just noticed my webcam is a little high. Gonna make a slight adjustment here. There we go. All right. The next thing is again another Ferrari engine, but this one is an actual Ferrari engine from an Enzo. It's still in the crate, and uh, this one the estimate was two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars, and it sold for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So there must be an Enzo out there that desperately needs. There must be two engines or Enzos out there that desperately need this one engine, which is why it probably sold for so much. All right, there were some bargains actually at this sale. Not many. It was a 98% sell-through rate. I believe there were 50 cars and only one of them did not sell. This one, I think, was the steal of the auction. So even in Miami, South Beach, uh, with RM Sotheby's, I feel there are some deals. This is a 2014 BMW M5. Now, it had low mileage. It had something, yeah, 27,000 miles, fairly low. It's basically a, a nice, cool, used car. Estimate was 100 to 100, I'm sorry, 80 to 100 thousand dollars, and this one hammered sold for 44,800 dollars. Now, I think what held this one back a little bit is that it was a wrap, uh, so you couldn't actually see the factory paint job. Uh, if I were consigning this car or a client of mine was, I probably would have told him to take the wrap off. I know that's no easy feat, uh, but anyways, that was quite a deal. Now, these other ones weren't nearly as big of a deal, but I thought, you know what, I'll call them out because it might be hinting a little bit towards the market valuations or the market trends uh, here in the next three to six months. This 1986 Lamborghini Countach LP5000 estimate was $600,000 to $700,000, and it sold for $555,000. Now, that does include the buyer's uh, premium, so the actual hammer on this car was somewhere around... Uh, $50,000. I'm sorry, was $500,000. So about $100,000 under the low estimate. So does that mean there's something happening in the Countach world? Are they slowing down? Possibly. Uh, this is an iconic one, and it's the red with the gold wheels, uh, phone dial wheels. So very cool, very beautiful car. It'll be interesting to see how the next Countach is fair at the next public auctions. All right, the next one I thought was quite a deal. And this was a really hard one to pin down, but it's a 2001 Ford uh, Festa, Festa? Fiesta, uh, the Gymkhana car. So this one was iconic. It's driven by Ken Block in uh, Gymkhana 3. Now, the estimate was three hundred to $350,000. Well, how do you put a price on this? It's really, really hard. I think it's the first Gymkhana car to come to public auction. And I think it flew under the radar somewhat. It hammered for $252,000. Uh, you know what? It's probably going to be looked back on as a screaming deal because they're still doing these uh, Gymkhana Monster Energy um, viral events. And I think, uh, you know, maybe even as short as three or four years from now, this will seem like a super good deal. All right. Let me talk about some of the cars that sold high. Interesting trend here. Um, I picked up three interesting trends here. One of them goes very much against what I just said about Lamborghinis. So we had this Lamborghini LM002. LM stands for uh, Lamborghini Military. And I just, you know, if you listen to my previous podcast about the auction, 
you'll know that I'm a big fan of these. Front engine, V12, uh, manual. They only made approximately 300 of them. I just think they're super cool. Well, the estimate on this one was $200,000 to $250,000, and it hammered for $386,000. Very. It's probably because this is quite a stellar example here, just menacing and gorgeous at the same time. I'm not quite sure how they did it. So that was interesting. It didn't double the low estimate, but it sold very, very strong. Uh, all right, the next three, now here's a trend if there ever was one, are all 1980s Mercedes 500 series cars that really perform. So there's your next generation. Uh, they're all AMG cars, 1982, 1987, and 1989. Uh, if you don't know this or not, but you know before Mercedes bought AMG, they were a separate tuner house. And if you got one of the cars that was bought, that was built in Chicago early, you know, an early AMG car, I know those had quite the premium on them. So let me go over these three cars real quick because I think this is a very strong uh, trend that will not stop. The first one's a 1982 Mercedes-Benz 500 SL AMG 5.0. So it's the two-door. Um, estimate was 150 to $200,000. This one hammered for $291,000, so almost double low estimate. Uh, black with tan interior, and it's not totally mint, which is the amazing thing. All right, the next one is a 1987. Oh, let me skip that one. Let me go to this 1989 Mercedes-Benz 560 SEL AMG 6.0. So the estimate was 90 to 120, and it sold for $257,000. So... This one sold for more than twice the high estimate. And that sounds shocking, but hold on to your hats because it's about to get even more shocking. Our final one is this 1987. Now, this is like the best of the best, uh, the iconic one from 1987. The uh, 1987 Mercedes-Benz 560 SEC AMG 6.0 wide body. The estimate was $225,000 to $275,000. Now get this, it sold for $720,000. Very, very crazy numbers on this car. So that is more than double high estimate. A world record price, uh, just iconic. I believe, I'll have to look at the specs here, but they didn't make too many of these. Um, this one only has less than 15,000 miles. Uh, let's see, just, just quite iconic. And this thing just went absolutely nuts. So. Uh, that is quite the trend for these 80s Mercedes AMG cars. So if you have one of these, hang on to it because if you sell it, you might not be able to afford to get it back. And then the last one I'm going to call out, I just thought was interesting. It's a 1974 Jaguar E-Type. Now, this one is absolutely stunning. Silver with uh, red interior. This is the Series 3 V12 Roadster. Typically, uh, these, I don't want to say the bottom rung, but these, if, you know, if you're looking at a Series 1, Series 1.5, Series 2, Series 3 would come in at the bottom. The estimate on this one was 100 to 120, and this one sold for $171,000. So all the money is exceeded expectations. Uh, I would assume the Series 1 should see a significant bump if this is indeed a trend. Those were trading, you know, in the high 200s, low 300s a number of years ago, and they've been soft lately. Uh, so I'm wondering if, you know, these 1970 cars bringing in this kind of money, it should definitely affect uh, the Series 1 and 1.5. We will see. That's just one car. Might just be an aberration. I don't know. But uh, but we will see. So 
Uh, let's see. I do want to talk about 10, or I do want to share 10 tips for buying a car at auction. Now, first of all, why would you buy a car at a collector car auction? There's a lot of different reasons. The first off, it's a ton of fun. I mean, if you've never been to an auction before, you should go. Uh, I volunteer at the Arms Sotheby's auction to help bid spotting. I'll show up a little picture here in a second. I know many of you from that. I love bid spotting because I get to know the folks that are in the area in which I'm working. And uh, it, it's a ton of fun. And once you go to one and you, you start coming back, you'll start having some fun friends. You all get to hang out. You get to talk about cars. Um, and it's a huge car show. I mean, some of these auctions, I, I'll point to Arms Sotheby's Monterey sale. That was as nice as Pebble Beach Concord Elegance. It was crazy. I mean, we had the Oscar Davis collection there. Uh, a lot of the cars um, you just don't see anywhere. I mean, the fact that we had so many at one time, I mean, just go in on the preview day and just enjoy the cars. I go to uh, Mecham, Indianapolis every year, and I just love walking around, I don't know, 2,200 cars. You know, you pay whatever, 30 bucks to get in. You walk around and you check out all those cars. You know, I always gravitate towards the special high-end cars first, usually muscle cars, Cobras, Mopars, or whatever. But then as you go to the back tents, you know, you can see some of the more daily driver cars and uh, cheaper cars and even some under $10,000 cars and some cars I'm wondering why they're there. <laughs> but uh, it's so much fun to just go to an auction and just take it all in. Um, it's also fun to kind of look for some deals. Like I, I don't know that I would, um, you know, Barrett's known for their uh, resto mod hot rods and everything. Like I want to go to Barrett to buy... Uh, a 300 SL Mercedes. I mean, there might be a deal on one of those if you go there or, or a 911, you know, 1967 911S. You know, if you saw one of those being consigned at Barrett, hey, that'd be fun. Keep an eye. See, it, it might be a deal. Uh, same with like selling European cars at Meekum Kissimmee. I think that's not smart. I actually did a deep dive recently on that for 2023. There were over 3,300 cars sold and pre-1970 European cars is only 1.8% of the cars. So, you know, your your buyer for that car is not showing up to Meekum Kissimmee. You know, they're showing up to, you know, maybe an arm Sotheby's Monterey, Amelia Island, maybe Goodings in London or whatever, you know. Um, a lot of fun things to do when you're at an auction. And nowadays, some of these auctions have all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Um, I'll get to that a little bit more in a second. Now, this is from a little article from Tim, I'm sorry, Tom Benford. Um, buying a collector car at auctions. This is kind of going on, kind of references what I just talked about. The advantages of purchasing your collector car at an on-site auction are that you'll have a good opportunity to inspect the vehicle in person before it comes on the block. There will be a lengthy description of the vehicle and its features and options, and the auction company will have done some due diligence to make sure the car's credentials, the VIN number, matching title, all that, are in order. In the event of some misrepresentation, the auction company may also intervene and solve such problems if they're reported by the buyer within 24 hours of the sale. Other advantages, advantages of on-site auctions are that they may, but not always, have services available. So that's like financing, insurance, shipping, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of other things you can do. You know, kicking the tires at an auction uh, is something uh, that is very wise to do. All right, let me get into your 10 tips here. So uh, the first tip for buying an auction is go to one, two, three, four, five of these auctions in person before you actually go to one to actively bid. Now, when you do that, 
uh, by doing that, you won't be intimidated. You'll know the process. You'll know what to do. You could talk to folks that are bidding to find out what are you looking for. You could find uh, folks that you know won the most recent car and ask them you know some of their experiences, and they can share uh, some of their own bidding tips. Now, I've been, like I said, attending Mecham Indianapolis for many years, and I've been consulting for RM Sotheby's. So I've been to quite a lot of auctions. And uh, as, like I said before, as a bid spotter, I see a lot of different strategies uh, for bidding. Some people want to be right up front. <laughs> Some people want to be on the aisle. Some people want to be way in the back, um, you know, kind of behind the scenes, and they throw their bids in there at the last second. Uh, so a lot of different strategies for bidding but go to the auction go to a few of them to kind of get the lay of the land and figure out your own strategy now the other thing that's really important number two is know what you want prior to showing up now i know a lot of i've heard of some stories where people bought a car spur of the moment and it turned out to be a great experience i would probably say that's like 10 percent of the time i don't think that typically works out you really need to know what you're looking at prior and that's where uh, you want to have a car specialist as your best buddy. So if there is a car that you are interested at an auction, you can reach out to the auction house and they'll put you in contact with the car, car specialist that probably can sign the car to begin with and knows the most about the car. And even at when you're at the auction, you can ask for them to go with you on a test drive. Um, you can have them start the car up. You can go all around the car Um prior to actually bidding on the car, but also do your own research. I mean, if you're looking for a 1969 Camaro Z28, know some of the specifics. Uh, I just actually helped a client look at one of those. And, you know, two of the things you really want to look for uh, for those cars, there wasn't a tried and true 100% way to uh, identify a Z28 in 1969. The two most foolproof methods would be the engine has to be a DX, I'm sorry, a DZ engine, code. Um, and then the other reason, or the other way you could check it out is, um, and the data plate, it should have an X in a certain spot, but it didn't always have an X. So know that kind of stuff. I mean, if, if you walk in there and you see that the third digit is a three and not a four, you know, that's a six cylinder Camaro, not a V8 Camaro. So right out of the gate, you're in a lot of trouble. Someone's making a clone and uh, maybe they didn't disclose it appropriately. Uh, you, you also should look at all the digital files online, all the photographs, come up with your list of questions and, uh, you know, be sure you know what you're looking for. All right, let's see. Oh, also, as part of trying to get a test drive in a car, show up early. The closer the auction comes to the actual event, the less chance you'll have to take a ride in a car and, um, you know, even getting it started up. Because once they start moving those cars, there's just no way you'll get a ride in one of those cars. And don't be don't be scared if your car specialist grabs a fire extinguisher uh, before they jump in the car. They have to do that for every single test drive. So don't don't read anything into the fire extinguisher. It's just a safety thing. All right, let's see. Uh, let's see. Number three is know what you're looking for when in when there. Um, I just kind of went over all that. Number four, set a budget and stick to it. Now, I, I say a little caveat there. I would say, yeah, you want to stick to it, but you also want to have, I got to have it budget. So maybe, you know, if you're looking at, I don't know, a 1970 Mopar convertible, you set the budget at, you know, 100 grand. Well, maybe have a 20% buffer knowing that if it goes that high, you know, have your cutoff point, but then have your max cutoff point. Just so you, in case you get riled up about it, you don't go too crazy. 
All right, number five, I recommend do not drink alcohol. <laughs> if you go to, uh, especially Bear Jackson, man, they'll get, I mean, you got to pay for it, but they'll get you liquored up there. And uh, and they want to make sure that, you know, folks are uh, really willing to bid. Um, and that, you know, drinking does not help with your reasoning skills. So uh, have a good time if you're not bidding, but if you have that bidder's pass, I would withhold uh, while while there. All right. Uh, I already mentioned this kind of number six during the auction. Get to know your bid spotter. Uh, I've got on the website here. There's a picture of me. I think it was at Monterey two years ago. Uh, that's very important because as a bid spotter, I don't always see everything. Um, I've actually looked right through a guy that was waving at me. So I typically tell him, you know, I try to walk around and I ask people, hey, are you looking to buy? If so, let me know what what you're looking for. So when that car comes up, um, I can be all eyes on you. I'm not like actually most of the guys I know are not the kind that would beat you up. Um, it's very respectful. Uh, don't feel like if you tell me what you're looking for, uh, that I'm going to tell somebody, hey, we got a live one here. Uh, nothing like that happens. I just want to be sure I don't miss you when you're ready to jump in there. Uh, so get to know your bid spotter. Uh, they're a bunch of nice people. Uh, let's see. Number seven, know the rules. So uh, when you're at an auction, you have to understand some of the rules. Uh, there's cars with a reserve, meaning that they won't sell unless they hit a minimum price. And then there's cars that have no reserve, meaning they're going to sell no matter what. Now that could be, it, it sounds cut and dry, but there's a little bit more to it. Uh, so for an, a, re, a reserve car, if it doesn't meet the reserve and it doesn't sell, it doesn't mean you can't walk away with that car. Um, after the auction, that night, the next day, whenever, all the car specialists are trying to get a deal done to sell that car. Now this is when uh, the auction fees get reduced or eliminated just to get the car sold. Uh, so don't think if it doesn't sell because I had a reserve, there is a chance you could go home with that car afterwards, even with a better deal. Okay, while I'm on the reserve cars, cars that have a reserve, I do want to mention chandelier bidding. So chandelier bidding is a term when, say you're bidding on a car and someone else outbids you, but you don't actually see them in the room. Now, this was pre-internet days. Uh, the joke was, is there must be someone in the chandelier bidding. Uh, which is why they're called chandelier bids. So auction houses can legally bid up to the reserve price. Uh, typically, they won't do that when it gets close, but there's a couple of reasons why, and I'm actually okay with it. So if you bring a car to an auction house and you agree, let's say you know the car's worth 80 grand, you agree on a $70,000 reserve, meaning no matter what, it's got a hammer for at least $70,000. If it's just a specialty car and there's not the right people in the room at the time, uh, you don't want it to be a no sale at $40,000. It would hurt the value of the car in the future. Uh, whereas the auction house will do a chandelier bid if there's a bidder in the room to get it, you know, into a respectable range of the reserve. You know, they're not going to bid it up to 70 grand, but maybe they'll bid it up to 55 grand or something to that respect. So I'm okay with that because it protects the consigner from if it doesn't sell, taking a valuation hit on their car. And it's, you know, it's not going to sell for that price anyways. Um, but anyways, just as an FYI. Now for no reserve cars, that's where it's going to sell no matter what. Usually the auction house will not do chandelier bids because they'll own the car <laughs> afterwards. So uh, that's where you'll, you know, everybody gets excited about no reserve cars because they feel like a deal can really be had on those cars. Now the downside with no reserve, if you're a bidder, 
is everyone's looking at those cars. Typically, it has the opposite results. It will actually increase the car well above what the reserve would have been. Because there's no reserve, you have that many more folks bidding on the car versus a car with a reserve. So just some uh, fun little tips there. All right. Uh, let's see. Number eight, arrive early, uh, register early, get there early. You know, like I said, check out the cars, tire kick them, uh, kick the tires, check out the engine, look, all, all the stuff you want to do and stay until the end. Now I say get there early because uh, at the Miami sale for RM Sotheby's, I actually had to put a cap on how many people could enter. It, at one point, it was bidders only because of the fire marshal and the amount of space. The last thing you want to do is to get to an auction, excited to buy your dream car, and then you can't actually get into the room. So be sure you get there early. Next, get your insurance beforehand. A lot of times this is really simple. I know that when I've bought a car in the past, my insurance company just wanted to know, hey, you know what? You're covered. Just call us with the VIN number within 24 hours. Uh, so usually it's not a big deal, but just be sure you understand uh, what you need to do per your policy with your insurance company. And lastly, understand the shipping arrangements you'll need to get at home. This is really simple as well. If you have a car, um, if you have someone who is in the car business, a car specialist, they can help you by actually giving you a quote from one of the major suppliers or carriers that they work with. Uh, before you even get down there. So you'll know what kind of financial investment you need to have to get the car back home. Obviously, you can make your own plans. I would not plan on driving it home unless you live in the same city. Uh, you know, if you want to bring a truck and a trailer down, that's probably the cheapest way and makes the most sense. Anyways, that's it. A shorter episode this week. But as always, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And I will talk to all of you next week. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.